0: And welcome, welcome, welcome to another Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lines Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. It is a beautiful day to talk about jazz. And you know what? It's also awesome because we have a master educator, performer, you name it, Professor Brandon (laughs) Robertson. And guess what? He's doing the what I love about series today and none other than Charnette Moffitt. So I know you are going to be entertained. You're going to be wild today because uh, it's a bass player and Brandon's always giving us the inside scoop. So I want to remind you, if you're joining us live, there's a chat feature in there. If you have any questions, just go up in there. And uh, type your questions. We're going to leave some time at the end to answer anything like that. And I want to remind you that this will be possible without our awesome sponsors. So please be sure to check out the studio archives of the past video sessions at clearwordjazz.com, education outreach session. And that's brought to you by uh, our friends over there, Blue Water Wealth Management at Stewart Partners and Duke Energy, as well as our Young Lands podcast available wherever you stream. And that's brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. Just search Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. I mean, what can I say? Brandon has brought us so many great sessions uh, from talking about the business, uh, I mean, improvisation, constructing baselines, and he's also done many of these, what I love about series, but you gotta go back in the archives to check those out. And if you don't know who this man is, Brandon Robertson is an Emmy nominated music director professional, upright, electric bassist, composer and music educator, originally from Tampa,
1: Tampa Florida. Florida. Yeah. Some people call it Tampa,
0: Florida. <laughs> so he received his Bachelor <laughs> of Arts and Music at Florida State <laughs> University in 09 and his Masters of Music and Jazz Studies in spring of 2016. And currently, you can catch him down there in Fort Myers at Florida Gulf Coast University where he's the basketball band, a director, the jazz studies director. I mean, he is doing a big down there. And if you don't know, he has some music. Of course, this guy will have some music because he's been on stages with world famous Count Basie band. I mean, Wild Club Gordon. Just played with Wild Club, right? right? Yeah. There, Last yes. Friday. Last Friday. So this man is in high demand. So uh, check his, his, his album out based on a true story. But without any further delay, I want to present to you my good friend, awesome, awesome Professor Brant Robinson. Stage is all yours.
2: Thank you, thank you, Mr. Carnota. Thank you, thank you, Michael, and of course to the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. It's always, always a pleasure to be here to do these what I love about series. Um, actually, I just come to terms. This will be probably my ninth series i've done uh on the what i love about series so like mr canoto mentioned go back to the studio archives to check out the past sessions that i've done um i've done a session on paul chambers christian mcbride Jaco stores um charlie hayden um who else did i did reginald workman um you name it i i, I and i have plenty more coming up but for today's series uh, I actually wanted to highlight a bass player that is not only to me highly notably recognized across the board in general in genre in all genres um, but this man I, I wrote When I was in graduate school, um, we're we're given a comprehensive exam, and so this is what you're given at the end of your graduate studies, and you have to write a very long thesis paper, really thick paper, and you have to do a defense on it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the questions that was presented to me was pick a bass player from each decade Decade of jazz, from starting from the very beginning of the ragtime, all the way to the 21st century, and so I had to go and dig, research, and really go through all these catalogs of bass players um, to, to to really answer this question thoroughly. What I found was overwhelming, <laughs> an overwhelming. Uh, information of, of 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 just things that so many bass players have done but this particular bass player when I came across Mr. Charnette Moffat and I started researching his life and his background I said wow this guy is like the real deal like he's the real deal he's not like a, a gimmick <laughs> he's he's just like a bona fide Bass player, a, a god-given natural bassist, um, Mr. Charlie Moff- Moffitt unfortunately passed away of a heart attack recently, um, and uh, I wouldn't say about maybe two, two, yeah, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, it was very recent, and uh, when I found out the news, I immediately thought about all of the the, the repertoire that I came across in his catalog. Um, just the sheer amount of uh, of pop artists and R&B artists he played with in the 90s to his time working with, you know, guitar extraordinaries, uh extraordinary, uh, extraordinary um, Stanley Jordan. And just even going back further in his childhood with his family, you know, his father was the drummer of Ornette Coleman and was part of that profound quartet that Ornette Coleman presented in the 60s, which really pushed the shape and pushed the envelope of where jazz was leading during that time frame. And so he was right, his father, Charles Moffat, was right there on the forefront. And so Charnette Moffat was a, a man who was just, Born to do this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's to save if you, if you really know his background, it's it's amazing to see a bass player who was born into a family of musicians who was born into the, the, the jazz idioms. It was bred, it was it was embedded in him and got his first professional, you know, hit at the age of eight on bass. You know, it was just, it was just given to him, you know, it was, it was meant for him to do. And so I want to highlight some of the things about what I love about Mr. Charnett Moffitt. It was very, very, very sad. And, and, you know, it hit the jazz community hard, very heavy, especially the bass community, you know, because he's just, if you've watched this man perform live, or if you've seen videos, I mean, it's just like, (laughs) <laughs> it's literally he was in his own lane there was no one like him, you know I always every bass player that I've covered in these series there's no one like them and Charlotte Moffin is one in his own lane so just to kind of move forward um here let's uh go to the next line here all right so uh Mr. Charlotte Moffin was born in New York 1967 he was born right in the era of the civil rights movement he was born right in the era of vietnam he was born right in the era of where there was so much social justice happening in america and abroad so this was a time also musically where uh you you started seeing the emergence of pop music becoming popular on the radio now you're seeing jazz Becoming commercialized. You know, almost a, a decade prior, where we're in the midst of the hard bop era, you had all these profound records. And later, with Kinda Blue, Charles Mingus, uh uh-huh, Giant Steps, you had all of these big records that were, were uh, and, and Dave Brubeck's Time Out, all these big records that were coming out. And so, Charnette Moffat was born into an era where jazz was actually shifting. And it's crazy that you his childhood was in the midst of all of this. I mean, literally, like tech, like electronic. With the Rhodes piano being introduced, electric bass, you know, was being introduced. You started seeing uh, more free, free, mu- uh, freer patterns and freer uh, tra- uh, improvisation happening. And then, of course, with his father being in Ornette Coleman's, uh, you know, quartet and, and the trio. I mean, this man literally uh, featured in, in Golden Circle live in Stockholm. I mean, this was he was again born into it, and his name actually Charnett. It come it derives from um, Ornette Coleman, who I learned was his godfather and his father, Charles. So he took the Charles and the Ornette and kind of meshed them together and that's how he have Charnet. So I thought that was really cool and meaningful. So again, he was already born and meant to do this. Um, he, uh, His father was a member of the Ornette Coleman Quartet. Uh, he made his professional debut at the age of eight years old with his family's band in Tokyo, Japan in 1975. Now, you, I had to search people I had to search for this picture intensely search had to call a close base friend of mine shout out to Amina Scott uh, over in New Orleans uh close friend of mine super killing bass player uh she was able to retrieve the picture for me and uh the gentleman which I believe and I hope I don't get his name wrong it's a uh, rocky Rocky Jones was the photographer, Uh, his Instagram, Rocky Jones. um, He was the one that provided this photo from the festival that year that also Herbie Hancock led a band and Oscar Peterson trio was also there as well. So there was these pictures floating around of a young or a Moffat on bass at eight years old. And I was like, I got to find this picture. I was able to find it. (laughs) So here it is everyone right here. And as you can see, in his face, he meant to play the bass. This is what he was this, he was destined to do. Um, he recorded 16 albums as a leader, um, premiering his first album, which was Netman in 1987. And Charnette had a very unique sound. Um, it was a, it was in a collection of all the different musical influences from his father, um, all the fusion music that was happening during the seventies. And then of course, when we started emerging into the eighties, where you have synthesizers and more of pop and, and, you know, rock music, a lot of that started influencing into his sound. And so when he debuted as a leader, you can hear that very progressive Forward, like, and I wouldn't say smooth jazz because I don't—I wouldn't classify him as that. But he just had this really '80s sound that was very new and fresh. Okay. Also, to shout out Mr. Charnett Moffett, uh my man was part of the Grammy-winning album. Black Hose by Wynton Morris Salas back in 1985, I believe he was somewhere uh, and I could be this one was this this information, this part was always unclear to me, but I, I'm pretty sure someone will get the information for me, um, and I believe he was either six, 18 probably 17 or 18 years old uh, when he debuted on that recording. Um, he also uh, premiered on uh, Branford's record, two Royal Blues Garden, Royal Garden Blues, and he uh, he he already had a staple for himself in New York City at a very young age. Um, he spent a little time at Juilliard, but at this point, he was already as a, he was already a demanding bassist. He was already gigging, and you know he had been playing. He's his whole family. His sister's a, a, a drummer. He has a brother that plays tenor saxophone. His dad's drummer like his whole family is is musicians so um all of these i I list a lot of the records that he was primarily featured and known uh for and and did really great work some of my favorite records on here um that i could point out to you right now uh triology uh with kenny garrett um that's one of my favorite records right there way uh 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 what's that uh wayne's uh oh man the name's not coming to me but it's a tune on there that he plays though funkiest baseline <laughs> it's crazy um wingspan with Mo miller that's one of my favorite records too that's actually one of the first that record and black codes uh by whitmore salas were probably the first two records i heard Charnette Moffin, and i was like Man, this dude sounds like he he, he heavy with the bass. <laughs> like he's going in. Um, another, another favorite record of mine, of course, is his debut record, which was uh Netman. And it's just because of that sound and just he produced a lot of that album by himself. I mean, he has a lot of people featured on that record too. Some big names. His dad plays record, uh plays drums on there, uh, sister plays drums on there. Um Stan, uh, Stanley Jordan's on there as well. Al Foster plays drums on a few tracks. Uh Michael Brecker's on that record. So it's like a he yes, he he did well for this first recording. Um but go ahead and moving forward. Here's some of the things that I actually uh like about Sharnette Moffitt. Um his beautiful, rich sound. Now, let me let me specify the sound of Chardonnay Moffitt. Um, It's big. It's very present. Um, Every note he plays is with intent. Every single note he plays, it rings, it actually vibrates. You can hear the fullness of each sound of notes that are connecting. It's, It's ridiculous how he's able to just play with it like at the dexterity he can do and then create these, this just beautiful, clear sound. You know, one of the, one of the bass players, obviously modern bass players, are my favorite that are here, you know, Christian McBride has that same sound. It's like when he articulates his notes or when he plays like really fast triplets or like, it's like very clear. Like it's, it's, there's no fluffle in it. And so he has this beautiful, rich sound that always resonates in the band. So like he can be by him. That's why he can do so much by himself because he can fill up the whole room. Um, his musicality on the double bass is remarkable. I mean, I've never seen a bass player who can actually use all his fingers. Like he like literally can play uh, a, a full chord, you know, one, three, five, seven, with all, and, and executed, I mean, very clearly and, and fluently, you know, um, just the way he, the way he approaches the base, uh, his, his, his way of thinking and gives a very deeply rooted spiritual connection. It's almost the same deal. Like Percy, Heath. Percy, Heath had a very, uh, rooted connection. Uh, Reggie, Red, uh, uh, Reggie Workman, also another bass player who talked about his spirituality with the ba- with music and how he connects spiritually with music and Charnette Moffat kind of like had that very same mentality and you can hear it in his musicality when he plays the bass. Um, he was a big a contributor to the Young Lions era. And I say that because when Witten Marsalis and I specified at the beginning of this session that in graduate school, I had to pick a bass player from each era. Well, the neoclassical era of jazz, which would have been the resurgence of jazz in the 80s, due to Witten Marsalis and uh, his contributions with taking the traditional styles of jazz and modifying it to present day and when he came out with black codes you know you had ron carter and then a very young 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 Charnette Moffett, and then went and wins a grammy it's like okay now he's clearly has proven and shown to the world and to the industry that jazz is not dead and so now moving five years later you have all these record labels that started popping up in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and they started giving out all these record deals to these young, up-and-coming musicians. So you had guys like Brad Meldow and Wallace Rooney and Joshua Redman and Christian McBride, Brian Blade, uh, you know. Uh, 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 so, there's so many There, there's so many cats uh Steven Scott, like there's so many cats, man, that was during this era, this Young Lions era that benefited from what Witten did in the 80s. And Charlotte Moffitt was one of the bass players that helped attribute to the push that helped the industry see like, wow, there's a whole plethora of young musicians out here. You know, I mean, you got to think too Also during this time, Wayne Marsalis had just came out of the Art Blakey uh, school. You know, he was playing, you know, you got Jerome Jennings, Young, Peter Washington, Young, Benny Green, Young, like these young guys who was playing with Art Blakey. And again, they were pushing the music forward to modify, to adjust to what was happening because so much music in other areas was going on and it was changing rapidly. So Sharnett Moffat was in the midst of it. That's why when you, I, I like his, I, I love his first album, Man, because you hear all those influences. It's, it's, it's like he meshed it all in one and the way he packaged it came out solid to where it really solidified his place as a bassist, as a composer, as a leader. And so therefore, during his contributions, to the Young Lions era, it really helped these the next generation kind of like keep the music moving forward. Um, he had an extensive musical influence throughout each decade after the 90s. A lot of folks, um, he did a lot of compositions and arranging. And if you started to see um, the configurations of groups he was interacting with, he downsized a lot. You know, He didn't go with the traditional uh bass piano drums he would have two guitars and bass or he would have his trio which was guitar double bass electric bass and drums you know or he would have violin guitar bass drums maybe piano you know so he he really pushed the envelope on he stretched the bass, you know, which gets to my next point. He pushed the envelope in his solos and bass lines. And he really stretched the music and how the capacity of how far the double bass can reach. He never had boundaries and never had limitations. I really appreciated that and loved that about his playing. Um, his solos, when you watch him solo, when I'm and when I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to get to the videos in a second, you're going to see that the way he solos is just like, Dude, you 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 have no chill. You just went from 0 to 3 stacks <laughs> in in an instant. You went from 0 to 3 stacks in an instant. You know, he's always pushing the envelope. Um obviously he's the son of the legendary drummer Charles Moffat uh, from the Ornette Coleman Quartet. Um the counterpoint melodies in his bass playing that he would use, he would he has a, a lot of uh his several solo projects that he would just come up with these riffs, but these riffs would be so melodic that it it transformed into its own song. And then he just turns it into its own song. And he's one of the few bass players in the industry that actually would, would display and really uh, present the bass as a forefront instrument you know as a forefront voice versus being in the background and in its normal traditional setting um the influence that he had on black Coats, you know again he was he was a young went had a very young group you know Kenny Kirkland you know very you know who was older than, obviously than went but like still he had a young group with, i think probably Ron Carter was the oldest member of that group at the time that played on that record and you know just just the sheer rawness and the sheer like i'm just gonna go for it like that's why i tell teach my students is like you just gotta go for it like a lot of times when you play bass if you hold back it really diminishes your sound so sometimes you just gotta push through it and he did that on that record and he was a monstrous electric bassist like he's probably one of my favorite electric bass players because he just had this fluid uh uh this i don't know i don't even know how to describe it the way he would move up and down on the bass and and and, and just his sensibilities very sensitive his touch his feel everything was just locked in he had a very powerful groove um here's some of my favorite albums that he's on a trilogy that i mentioned earlier by kenny garrett uh happy people which has the song Happy People on it. And that is probably one of the most infamous bass lines. What? <laughs> every time I hear that song, I get happy. That's why he called it happy people, because that bass line makes you real. It, it just it makes your shoulders bounce, you know. Uh Magic Touch, which was a which was an album that I think one of the first albums that he featured on in the 80s that him and Stanley Jordan uh did and Stanley Jordan was really big in his time period, like really, really big. So this was a good look for him. As I mentioned before, he also was featured on another Marsalis project, Royal Garden Blues, uh Branford's project. Uh, one of my other favorite albums. And again, this was like part of the second album I listened to of Charnette Moffat, aside from black codes, uh, which was wingspan, uh, Mogul Miller classic. I highly recommend you check that one out. Uh, this was a record my mom used to play a lot back, back when I was a kid. And I just found out recently, as when I was researching for this session, I said, wait a minute, how did I not come across this? Rhythm of Love, I didn't know he was the bass player on that. It's Charnett Moffitt play bass on Anita Baker's record. I didn't even know that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, of course, Netman, like I mentioned earlier, that's one of his first projects as a leader that he came out with. And then the Art of Improvisation was a, was a, was a really interesting record because he started really expanding like, like overtones and harmonic playing on the bass, which up until that point, he was dabbling with it. And then he started doing more of it in his later projects. But that was the project where I kind of started hearing that more. Okay, so here's some of the features that we're going to check out uh, for today's session. Um, the first one, this one, I'm not, I I can't play the whole video because it's so long, but I remember checking out this video. This was like a while back. It wasn't actually for the session. It's just, I like to, I'm a bass nerd, so every once in a while, I like to geek out on just bass videos on YouTube for a couple hours, <laughs> just sitting and watch really killing live performances of my favorite bass players, you know, or like try to work on some of these stuff. So Charnette played this, uh, trio gig with Stanley Jordan. He was playing guitar and piano and then, uh, Tane, Jeff Tane Watts was on drums. So that was live at Birdland. Um, of course the net I know I keep talking about it, but I literally, I really love that song. Like that song is like, it, it's very poppy and smooth and eighties, but it's just, it's, 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 cool. It was, and it was his first project. Um, African village. Now that album that McCoy came out with in the sixties, that this record is on is fire, super fire. That that was a hard record, but this live performance of them doing, uh, African village, I kid you not, you going to see my man spaz. On the bass, he's gonna he's gonna go ham on it. Uh, the bridge was a solo bass album that he came out with in the mid two thousands, and uh, he did he used to come out with these music videos, which I thought was so cool. And I used to follow him uh, every like it'd be like every two or three weeks he'll come out with a music video, and it'll just be like a solo video, but it'd be so cool like how they how they showcase it. I'm like, man, I want to do something like that. That's so uh, I found the video of one of his solo uh, works uh, called the bridge. Now, then the next video is uh higher dimensions, which is a really hit recording that I love of his It's from a record that he put out back in, I think 2015. And uh, this is with his trio. This is the trio that he was, Gigging with uh, Jenna, I forget her last name. She's a guitarist, really, really killing guitarist. And then uh, the drummer's a young kid from San Francisco, uh, Corey Garcia. And so um, this was at Live at Yoshi's in Oakland, California. And then the last one was of his, I believe it's a quintet that he put together. And this was at WGO, it was a live radio segment And he has a violinist, bass, uh, piano, drums. So uh, let's go ahead and check these out. And you guys, uh, we'll we'll go through it. So this first one is with Stanley Jordan, uh, Jeff Tain Watts on drums, and then Sharnett Moffitt on bass, live at
1: Birdland.
2: Put the Mickey Mouse shirt on, (laughs) y'all. Hey. you guys see like his dexterity see how fluid he is like that's what i said like his solo is the way he pushes his solos is crazy Slap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to switch that up. Uh, Yeah, so uh, (laughs) you see what I mean. So let's go back to the point where I said what I love about uh, his solos and how he pushes his bass lines You see what I'm talking about. Now, I wasn't playing around, folks. I wasn't playing around. This man gets busy. Now, this next piece here is one of my favorite joints. Uh, This is off of his first record. That he came my way. and check out the suit game, bro. Check out the suit game. The suit game. Don't don't sleep on the suit game. The suit game is solid. Uh, this is a style back then. Uh, Netman uh, featuring um, his sister on drums, uh, Mino Camilo on percussion, Kenny Drew Jr. on synthesizer, uh, Cordero. Um, she she's part of the f- the family, the Moffett family that. Uh, a tribute to his musical uh, upbringing and so I most of this record features a lot of members of his family Uh, his dad plays uh, drums on a few of the records as well so tell me what y'all think about Mr. Netman. okay 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 now let me pause that real quick this man was playing upright bass by the way y'all that wasn't that's not no electric synthesized bass or no no nah, he's playing upright bass you'll see why i like this album so much it was probably the first album i heard and my teacher at the time had told me he's like you know there was so few cats in that 80s that was doing these kind of records he's like you should check out sharnett Moffitt's record that man i was like okay and then i heard then i was like dang hold up you can play bass like that that sounds hip and, and his whole album is like that <laughs> so i mean he clearly wanted to showcase the double bass so yeah i just want to all to hear just a sample of that check out that record that's a, a fire record um yeah this one right here Let's go ahead and jump in this one right here. I ain't even going to... Okay, so I, I just wanted to give a teaser for a second, because I was like, let me just start it off. African Village by McCoy Turner this live video right here i probably have watched this video a, a, a thousand times and it's like not even exaggerated like everybody takes fire solos you got a young eric harlan here uh on drums playing with all the goats and all these vets uh you got another young charnett moffett holding down the low end and he holds down the high end too and uh, you got the GOAT, GOAT, Mr. Bobby Hutchison on vibraphone. And, of course, the G himself, Mr. McCoy Tyner. And Mr. McCord Tyner, uh, really, everybody's stressed out on this one. But I'm going to fast forward a little bit to Charnett's solo so y'all can just see this man got busy. But I wanted, to, I want y'all to listen to some of Bobby's solo because Charnette's going ham under him. I'm not understanding why I'm getting so excited listening to this, because if you see a bass player that can create that much tension, like that much tension off of a pedal, like he's, he is, the way he's hitting the string and he's attacking the emphasize, he's putting so much tension. It's like Eric Carlin's like, God, man, I don't know when you were trying to release this, man. Like, you could could feel him like tensing up because he's like, this is, man, attention, the buildup right there. Man, that's like, ah. You got to love that kind of stuff, man. When bass players can do that and execute that very well. Yeah. So I had to, but let me, I got to fast forward to his solo a little bit. Sorry, I know. I know. All right. Wait. Okay. He's about to go off y'all, he's about to go off, he's about to go off.
1: had to get myself together
2: Mm. what do you say yeah let's go to the next video y'all i i I can't even i don't even know what to say that yeah this man here just snapped on that one yeah we're gonna go to the next we're gonna go to to the next video uh this one is a solo worker i'm gonna just kind of play a little quick clip with this one um this is uh the videos that i was mentioning to you all where he would come out with these music videos of, of solo work that he would do and uh, this was a cool one. I really dug this one. Um it had a really nice little cool like bass riff to it. So you guys tell me what you uh what you think. <laughs> Just so smooth with it, bro. Just so smooth with it. So smooth with it. So smooth with it. Okay, all right, next one. That was, that was, and what I love about that is just the freeness f- 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 of it, super free. I'm only gonna just play the melody to this one. But this one's killing though. But this is his trio live at Yoshi's with Janna Hurson. And this was a trio that he played with, and he put together for, he played with for many years. Yeah. Yeah, that was so that group, uh that was a group that he played with for a very long time. Um in, in most of his recent years. And uh that's a fun trio, man. That uh I love listening to that those three play together because you could tell they're just super in sync and super free. And he what I love about Sharnett's playing is just the freeness that he hears. Like he doesn't like like obviously he feels Rhythm and time, and but it's like the freeness of it, like how he how he how he utilizes space is just remarkable. Um, this last clip, I just want to show um, of, of a song that he wrote uh, called Holy Spirit, and um, <laughs> this is featuring uh, a different configuration where he has guitar and violin added into the mix now, and so uh, this is another great piece for us to come conclude uh, to the end of this session. So this is Holy Spirit. So I wanted to kind of kind of leave you guys there on on a, on a, uplifting spiritual note. Um, that, uh, that last piece, you know, you can kind of hear the love and the passion, but the, but the, the, the spiritual connection that he has within the music, you can feel it. You can hear it in, in his bass lines. You can hear it in his melodies. You can hear it in the connection with the rest of the musicians. Um, Charnett, um, has inspired an entire generation of highly motivated forward thinking bass players. You know, there's, there's a multitude of bases who have a tribute, um, Paul Perthold, who is one or who is the current basis, uh, for Kenny Garrett's, uh, uh, quartet, you know, every time I listen to him play, you know, I, I can hear a lot of influences from Charlotte Moffitt. I don't, I don't want to speak for him in that sense to say that that's, he, he could be, but I can just hear a lot of that, that pool, you know, there's a lot of other bass players that are on the scene that I can hear a lot of them, you know, have been either inspired or have pulled some kind of, uh, of concept from, uh, Charlotte Moffitt's play. Um, one of the pioneers for the young lions era, you know, like I said, in you know, him being so young on the scene and was able to kind of give a forefront for those who were coming in after him. Uh, one of the very few bases to perform more than a 30 years period. I mean, this man has literally been performing since he was a kid, since he was eight, you know, with his family. So, <clears throat> I mean, he broke into the scene at 16. So uh, he's had a longevity and, and it was unfortunate that his life had to end so sudden, you know, and young at the age of 54 and, you know, as sad as that was, man, like he left such a big catalog and a legacy that I don't think that his life will stop here. And I think his legacy will stand the test of times. And he was a major contributor to the modern jazz bass. And of course, I always end each of my sessions with all of these bass players that are choose have originality. And so therefore, for today's session, I'd like to conclude um, and, and my, send my condolences to the Moffin family and uh, to the rest of the jazz community who knew and shared the stage with Mr. Charnett Moffin. I didn't know him personally, but I knew him through the music and he was a big influence on my life, big influence on my bass playing. Um, like I said, I, I chose him as the basis for the era of the neoclassical uh, period and there were other base players during that period who made huge contributions that easily could have fit that uh, position. But Sharnam Moffett. I wanted to highlight because he was somebody that, you know, I felt that a lot of people, my peers would only mention like the, 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 the who's who names. And he's definitely one of those folks that needed to be discussed. So thank you for uh, uh, sharing this session with me today and uh, look forward to seeing you guys at, at the next one. Thank you very much.
0: Professor, professor, professor. <laughs> Man, you know, I'm blown away because you always, you know, you paint the picture and tell the life stories of these musicians. I mean, it's one thing to hear their music, but it's another thing just experiencing their, their upbringing. I mean, I learned about his family and just so much that I did not know about Charnette Moffitt. I mean, this is amazing. So I thank you for doing that research. And uh, if you join us live and if you have more comments, you can still go into that chat. But we would really like to hear from you uh, if you have any topics or maybe another person that you would like us to discuss. Uh, you can always email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com. We love to hear from our listeners, and also please share, share, share. I mean, you've heard this masterful presentation that uh, Professor Brandon Robertson did today. I mean, and here's a brilliant part about it: it's free. You can go on art It's free.
1: It's free. You can't, free. I mean,
0: and there's people that pay hundreds of dollars for content like this, or to go to a conference to hear something live like this. So take advantage of it share it with a young upcoming musician or even a seasoned musician and just um tell them the great things that you hear here so thank you so much again professor uh, i've been your host michael kernodal until next time everybody like we always say keep it swinging have a great day keep it swinging
1: Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.